the research is very clear that one of the most important positive predictors for long-lasting relationships and happiness and passion in marriage is actually having conversations with your partner. Hello and welcome back to season three with Thrive with Sharon podcast. I am Sharon Land, holistic psychotherapist, internationally acclaimed healer and metaphysician, as well as your podcast host. And I am really, really excited to bring this conversation to you. Um, I have a really, really cool individual. We were just talking before we pressed record and Already I can tell we're like kind of speaking the same language, um, which is really, really nice. I have today Dr. Alexandra Stockwell, and she is known as the intimacy doctor. And this is a, a topic that is so near and dear to my heart. So I can't wait for us to start getting into this conversation. Um, she is an intimacy coach and she's also an intimate marriage expert. And um, she really talks about how to build successful relationships with successful couples. Um, and that is a nice place for us to sit. Um, she's also the best-selling author of Uncompromising Intimacy, the host of the Intimate Marriage Podcast, which is fantastic, and also the creator of the Aligned and Hot Marriage Program. Um, she's also been featured on the Huffington Post, USA Today, Business Insider, Rolling Stone and Cosmopolitan, and many, many more. Um, but most importantly, I think that you're just going to absolutely fall in love with her and what she has to share. I can't wait to dig into this conversation. Alexandra, thank you so much for coming today and having this conversation. I'm so glad to be here and feel so honored by the lushness of that introduction. Thank you so much. No, well, absolutely. And thank you for being here. I, I, I think that it's such a beautiful place to be um, that you and the likes of you have done all of this work to get to the place where you are so that you could help the people that you're helping and serving um, in such a rich way. So um, I would love to hear more about how you arrived at the intimacy coach and, and really talking about all things intimacy. Yeah. You know, there's so many ways that I could answer this question. Every single one genuine, because mm. there's, there's a whole conversation around being in a conventionally prestigious field as a practicing physician, and then shifting into territory that's much less known and much less structured. That's an interesting conversation. Like there just are so many, but I think what I really wanna share is this. My parents were divorced, my husband's parents were divorced. And when we got married, I absolutely was in love with him. We got married 26 years ago, I guess soon it'll be 27. And I both had an open heart and kind of beautiful innocence and excitement for the future and simultaneously was 
equally convinced that of course we would divorce. Like I didn't, I didn't know differently. I mean, mm. sure, conceptually, I knew it was possible. And I obviously knew people who didn't get divorced. But in in the internal milieu of my soul, I didn't really have access to how that 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 would really work. And I knew that I had this assumption because it was like I had two two tracks running simultaneously, two channels on TV playing at the same time. Yeah. But I didn't give it that much attention, except that when we had our first child, I used to, this was before cell phones and, you know, the way to remember something was to remember it, not to record it. <laughs> and so I, I was like making mental notes of how, beautifully my husband and I loved one another and parented together so that as would inevitably be the case in the future when we were divorced I would be able to tell my daughter about how special this time was mm. so I'm just gonna put like a few points together so that's one another is that the very beginning of my internship year when I started my residency I worked in a family medicine community health center where there were people from most cultures in the world. It was an extremely diverse area. Mm. And so I participated in a essentially cultural sensitivity training in order to be respectful of my patients and not be disrespectful without even realizing it. Like I remember yes. one of the things is there are certain Asian cultures where when you show the bottom of your foot or yes. the bottom of your shoe, it's like giving the finger. And so, right. you know, to know that this was the case was important. And as part mm -hmm. of doing this cultural sensitivity training, we each put attention on our own culture and mm. cultural projections, lens, cultural mm. richness. And I myself come from a fabulous quirky intellectual New York Jewish family and I just assumed well of course that's my culture but when I went through the exercises what I actually came to is that my culture is being a member of the child of divorce tribe like when I meet somebody oh. whose parents were divorced between the ages of six and twelve very often I just feel this immediate Oh yeah, they're my people. My there's mm. a kinship. There's a a mutual understanding. The same way, if uh, you know you, you come from a I don't know a Ethiopia and the food is served and you eat it without utensils, then there's right. like a oh yes, we have an understanding. Well, I discovered, oh, I have that with with children whose parents got divorced during this time, and it yeah. kind of blew my mind because I, I just want to say my parents did not have a a lot of animosity. They didn't have a drawn mm. out. It was, it was a simple, amicable, civilized, do-it-yourself divorce. My father came mm. for dinner every Thursday night for the year after my parents divorced. Like I'm trying oh. to convey it wasn't traumatic in, a, in the way that divorce can be for children. It just wasn't. Sure. However, it 
it colored my internal palette in ways that I didn't really appreciate until doing this self-identification for cultural sensitivity. Mm. So when I perceived that, that, you know, I might've been Parisian, I might've been mm. Venezuelan, and instead I'm child of Divorcian, which <laughs> wasn't just sad. Like it gave me access to all kinds of riches, but it wasn't what I or anyone had chosen for me. Let me just say that. Sure. And it really inspired me to figure out how we could have the really thriving, extraordinary marriage that we both wanted. Yeah. You know, it's, we both wanted it. The only limitation really was knowing how to create it. And I've come to understand that this lack of education is really the thing that undermines the majority of marriages. So just to tie up this topic to say that um, I was in my mid thirties and had my own practice. I had paid off my medical school loans. My husband and I had been married. We had three children at the time. We have four. And I realized that as far back as I could remember, I'd always done something for a purpose, like everything mm -hmm. was a means to an end. I was so ambitious and driven and even going on a family vacation, it was like, well, it's good for the family. Like <laughs> it's just part of being a high achieving woman that like everything was moving towards some goals. And right, we I, had to be doing something. That's right, Yes, that's right. I could tell you my to-do list and didn't really know what I desired. So anyway, I took us, I arranged a sabbatical mm. and gave myself permission to do things for no reason other than that I felt like it. And wow. It it just opened up so many different things. So all of this ended up coming together in a way that I couldn't have anticipated in advance. But as Steve Jobs says, you can connect the dots in hindsight. And so the different dots that I've just shared make sense because of how they now add up where I use mm -hmm. my medical training and all kinds of other trainings. Yes. And I'm really devoted to providing the education mm -hmm. because I think people can have relationships that are far better than most people are actually having just because they don't know how and it wasn't modeled. I think that's such an amazing story and way to connect everything. And I, a twist on what Steve Jobs said, it's when you are truly in that aligned place where you really are just, and I do this visualization a lot of times with, mm. with my clients where picture yourself in that aligned place where it everything just feels good. It's like, yes, I'm supposed to be here. I'm physically where I'm meant to be. I am relationally where I'm meant to be. You can almost like bite the air. It's just so delicious, right? And then you look back. You look back to some of those points where 
things weren't, they didn't feel so aligned. They didn't feel like you were really in coherence. And you can see how every step that you took from that point of saying, yes, I want to be more conscious about things, right? I want to be more of who I am, who I'm meant to be. Um, and get rid of the things like the, maybe the wanting to feel like we're performing all of the time, like for it to you, like it's the doing. Um, many of us, especially we, we do feel like we need to show proof of, you know, our, our worth and our value of existing another day, you know, where we have like, oh, I did this and I did that and I did this and I did that. And it's just like, wow, to really just make that conscious decision and say, I'm going to take a sabbatical so that I can actually do nothing. That's yeah. And you know, it's, it's hard to convey how confronting it was. Oh. Like it required so much courage. And I think it's one thing when we're trying to, trying to show ourselves and anybody else's opinion matters, what we're capable of. And then that becomes the normal way to move through waking hours. Mm. And to let go of that, I mean, there weren't people judging or criticizing me, you know, I didn't, in fact, at the time that I took the sabbatical, I was in my mid 30s, and I was the oldest person, I'd become the oldest person in my family, my parents died, not super young, but 60 and 64. So that's the, young. Yes, yes. But I just mean, like, not when I was two, but right they they um both died when i was in my early 30s and so mm. the point is that i didn't have anyone that i was going to be disappointing i didn't have someone whose opinion i needed to navigate in a way that would have been very challenging and even so i mean my my in-laws had some questions and i'm, I'm not i'm not saying that people understood my choices right. but but the point is that just between me and myself, it was very confronting and felt a little bit like being in free fall. And I didn't have like all the time. I mean, I, I had three children, I was making dinner, I was doing drop-offs and pick so on, and my youngest wasn't in all this school yet. So the point is that the time that I did have I had to keep redirecting myself to not just start doing things. And mm -hmm. I actually think that this is one of the things that is essential for having great sex. I mean, like we're talking about yes. it in terms of planning the day, but since you already established you're happy to dive in in the intimacy realm oh yeah but, let's weigh in let's go you know water over our heads in okay well yeah. i think you know <laughs> in um, my facebook group it's also called the intimate marriage i recently got a question there was from someone who had joined and said you know i love my husband so much and we enjoy being together but i just find it so hard to stay present during sex yeah. And that is a very similar conversation to the one that 
you and I are having about what do I do each day when I can do what I feel like doing. And in fact, if someone is wondering, well, by all means, join my Facebook group for the conversation about how to sure. stay present during sex, but also like the, the bottom line answer is learn to be present mm. at other times. Like one of the things that I often say, and I'm so curious to hear what you say, if you have a visualization for this, cause I can tell we're, we're, you know, coming from different life experiences and conceptual yeah. frameworks and so deeply aligned. But anyway, one of the things that I say, particularly talking to women is make a point of being present and enjoying sensual experiences throughout yes. the day. Like you have such beautiful candles mm -hmm. there on your dresser and I can't smell it because I'm on zoom, but I'm guessing that the aroma there is so lovely and, you know, to choose what colors you're going to wear. And if you have a favorite beverage to make a point of using your favorite mug that has the right weight that you enjoy and the right feeling when you put it to your lip and mm -hmm. to like, let the smell of the beverage be something you enjoy before you're even drinking it that being able to really enjoy sensual experiences in any kind of simple context yes is one of the best ways to be able to enjoy what you're doing mm -hmm. very much including erotic activity yes and i of course i mean i am you, you, you caught me. I am very sensual, right? I'm all yes. about the senses and it's not just the, it's all of the senses. And then the ones that we can't clearly in our, in our words, identify, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, I know we can try, but we, it's just, it's I just part of the think unknown. I often them as sensibilities. Right. They're the nuance yeah. part, right? Um, and so for me, from my framework, from my perspective, um, one of the things that comes up is the fact that um, many people, and I don't want to stereotype, but I would definitely say those who identify as more feminine and definitely women, um, they, you know, I as you were talking, I was thinking back, just putting a pin in that for a second. And I just want to say, like, as you were talking, I was just thinking back to the fact that when you and I were born, right, women were fighting for the right to vote. Okay. So we have had a huge time collapse in trajectory and change um, from the feminine and, 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 and female um, role that we have played in life. Right. And that yes. we were taught that from the structural yeah. perspective, right. And we couldn't open bank accounts. We couldn't open bank accounts. We couldn't, I mean, both of my parents are also divorced and, um, <laughs> my mother, when, so I'm part of the, I'm part of the class. Yeah, I, I was just thinking, yay, there's the kinship. <laughs> so, so, so the thing that really struck me when I was, I was, a teenager at the time, um, she didn't know how to balance a checkbook. She didn't even know how much money was in the account. 
Mm -hmm. right? It was just not, it was kept from her. So anyhow, fast forward to this appreciation of being present and enjoying every moment in a way where we can really allow it to just move its way and metabolize itself through our physical, emotional, energetic bodies. Yes. There are understandable barriers that come in to us really feeling comfortable even with that, right? So um, some of those things are from our own programming, right? And ancestral programming. Um, and some of that also is that repatterning of that do, 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 do that didn't have someone who decided to take a circuit break and say, nope, I've got to confront this and deconstruct the way that I've been moving through the world. So for our communities and everybody who's listening, um, it, it, I've always had an affinity towards um, the aesthetics and towards things um, that were very creative and artistic and, you know, maybe to your point, a little quirky, um, but, but there were definite barriers to being forward about the fact that that was part of who I was because the world that I lived in was very much like shaming the fact that, you know, you don't go and get your nails done. Right. Um, and so we had to justify the um, indulgence because it was looked as an, an indulgence. Right. So just really speaking into the programming aspect of where some of those barriers really come in, in being able to have intimacy, because my belief is that the word intimacy is into me see right so if we can't if we can't take the time to look into ourselves like it's a heart and 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 the only thing that we see especially as women the only thing we see is oh i've got a little fat pocket over here and i don't like that thing over there and my hair is erect today i don't know why you know the water softener is probably not working and whatever so then when it comes time for us to go with our partners right then we're not thinking about gosh i can't wait to connect with them and allow them to see all of me. We're thinking, gosh, don't look over here, turn the lights off, you know, <laughs> right? So there is this beautiful kind of unfolding that can occur on the journey towards intimacy. And that I don't think that you're saying that you expect, and I'm definitely not saying that we expect that anybody today, just by listening to this podcast is just automatically going to be like, you know, put the pole up in the bedroom and learn how to do the pole dancing and, you know, do whatever is erotic and sensual and like kind of really, really, you know, to that full expression, but to try to try a one small step and then see what stirs up within you so that you can become curious about maybe whether or not that's something you want to continue to have in your life, or maybe, you know, deconstruct that programming and allow yourself to unfold more like the flower that we are right. Petals get to open. Yes. I love that. And I wholeheartedly agree. And I want to emphasize one of the elements that it's easy to fall into the 
trap, the falsehood that having a pull and doing burlesque dance for your partner is what erotic expression really is. And so we're just going to take the very small step and I don't know exactly what that's, that's really not reality that the most essential ingredient. Well, I probably have a list of many most essentials, but anyway, in this moment, the most essential ingredient for really satisfying erotic intimacy is authenticity. And so for the woman who really learns how to stoke her fire and, you know, arch her back and express herself with a pull such that it's who she authentically is. Yes. Well, that is super hot. But if it's acting, it might be great for a film, but it is not actually going to create the kind of sensual communion you would want with your partner right. and be able to tap in and deepen that. In fact, when there's acting, it dulls sensation, it dulls the sensuality, even if what you're acting is appealing, if it's acting, inherently at least the way that i'm talking about it now yes there's less of you in play there's right if you're if you're acting even if it's a beautiful act you're separating yourself from the experience in a way that actually undermines how much how much passion, how much deliciousness, how much tenderness there is. So to Mm -hmm. to be even more explicit about this, it's not what I'm about to share. It doesn't happen every time. I guess it sort of comes in waves, but I remember when I learned how to be so present in my body that while making love, I sometimes would just sob or mm-hmm. gently shed tears, which if mm-hmm. it's someone you're having sex with for the first time, that it's complicated and personal and whatever, yeah. but yeah. in the context of a long lasting committed relationship, it is so authentic and it is so magnificent to feel mm-hmm. a depth of ease that any flavor can emerge Mm. and it ends up being an invitation to a quality of pleasure that just is not available if one has some standard that well sexy is on a pole or right or anything else and so i guess i just really want to disrupt the small versus big because what really matters is depth and authenticity. Yes. Oh, I'm so, I got the chills by the way, when you were sharing that, <laughs> I, I am a hundred percent on board with what you are saying. And I think that from the, from the opposite side, right? So we're speaking kind of of the feminine from the masculine energy, um, I'm curious what your thoughts are on how to be able to really work with that. 
right? Um, because <clears throat> I think that this is where some of those um, disconnects could occur. Yeah, okay, well, let's start outside of the bedroom. I'm I'm a big yeah. fan of really learning ways of being and modes of communication on relatively benign topics so mm. that you can trust your way of being, can trust the communication tools, can trust that your practice will serve, and then mm. you can go into much more complicated, potentially confronting topics and contexts. Mm -hmm. Like like you don't need to um, have your Olympic tryouts be the first time you run a marathon. You want to you want to prepare. Yeah. So um, to just start very simply, I don't expect what I'm about to say to be a revelation to anybody. Men are you know, in a relatively heteronormative context, men are rewarded for their capacity to problem solve, to be analytical, take action and problem solve that. Right. That is what men are rewarded for um, by and large. And even if in a particular family, there's more appreciation for being an emotionally intelligent, nuanced ways of presencing society in general that's 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 the reward so and it's also the modeling so in terms of being an invitation and a willing participant to the kind the quality of intimacy that we're talking about right now one of the first things is in your everyday conversations to not problem solve as the compulsive automatic contribution. It doesn't mean that you never problem solve. Say that again. <laughs> okay. That you don't problem solve as the automatic compulsive contribution. Yes. 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 I'm never interested in making any part of anybody wrong it's just that it needs to be honored and engaged in right measure so correct do i deeply value my husband's rather outstanding problem solving skills mm -hmm. absolutely mm -hmm. do i want him to use them as his main mode of communicating with me in response to any kind of thing i say to him no I do mm -hmm. not. Right. Because that just leaves me feeling unseen and unheard. Although I do really want to emphasize that many times a man is incredibly well intentioned and yes. really wants to serve. Right. But when it comes out as problem solving, that's not how it's received. And so it's actually, I think, confusing often for men who respond in a way, especially if a woman is, if you're married to a woman and you're a man and your woman is telling you a problem, it seems like the absolute best thing you can do is offer her a solution. Right. And then it's confusing and just <laughs> terrible to 
you know, be rejected or get anger or coldness in response when you've been offering a solution because she has a problem. Like you gave the best really... one out of the box, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. The box out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so the intention can still be honored, but expressed differently. And so what I highly recommend if you're a woman who talks to a man who you'd be glad for him to evolve in some of the ways we're talking about, mm -hmm. I highly recommend before you say anything that you create a win-win situation and say what kind of response you're looking for. Like give him that direction so that he can actually give you what you want and don't look to him to be a mind reader. That is a recipe for frustration. Yes. Even if your man is sensitive. Yes. And, and I want to, I just want to kind of open up the nuance of what you just said for a second, Alexandra, that I think it's really important because this is, I'm just, I'm just hearing all of the conversations that I've had in the past, right. With people who have found themselves to that second step. <laughs> right. And, and I think that it's important to understand that. Um, so there is this belief and especially even in like spiritual communities, right. Where the woman has to just be very much like a certain kind of a way. And so to assert a need seems is perceived sometimes as like a very masculine thing right? Oh, I don't want to feel like I have to drive the bus all of the time. I don't want to have to tell them what to do. I don't want to have to do it. But, but really when a woman or a, uh, somebody who is in their feminine energy, so I just want to talk about it maybe like in the feminine and the masculine energy, because we know that we're all, we're, we all have both. Um, yes. and so, yes. and, yeah. and in our relationship, sometimes we're a little bit more in our feminine energy, or we might be a little bit more in our masculine energy. Right. Yeah. So, so when we're in our feminine energy, actually, we're very much empowered to share more about how it is that we can be served, right? Because the masculine energy really, like you said, they, the masculine energy wants to serve. Um, part of the masculine energy is leaving that legacy behind, is that assertion, right? Of like, let me give something to you, right? So so I'm, I'm curious if you see that in relationships where it's like kind of what you're talking about, where it's just like the masculine kind of places all of these things down, right? Like I'm in service to you. I'm doing this. I'm, um, the breadwinner. I'm making the money. I'm taking, I have the roof over the head. The kids have their soccer outfits, you know, uh, we just paid for the, you know, one of the kids trips to Israel next, you know, for a semester at sea, like whatever, whatever. Right. So how am I not serving you? <laughs> right? Yes. And that really reflects or expresses a narrow view of what connection can be. Right. So such a masculine being is serving, but there is, it, it's like, um, you know, if we if we think of the 48 flavors of Baskin Robbins, it's just restricting the means of connection mm -hmm. to four flavors. 
Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm, you get, mm-hmm. I don't know about Baskin Robbins. Let's go with like the 88 keys on a, on a piano. Like you, Ooh, I like that. you have so many different songs you can sing together. So yes. many different keys you can play. And if you only want to stay in the octave around middle C, it is beautiful, but it also is restricted, not just because the feminine energy is dissatisfied and critical and pointing out inadequacy also for you you know whatever gender you are for the masculine qualities there's so much more range available and really one of the things that contributes to long-lasting passion is continually expanding the range of how you connect with yourself and your partner. But I want to say one more thing so it's not just lost as we move on to one juicy topic after the next. And that (laughs) is that while I set it up saying that the one in feminine energy can say, first of all, can be clear on how, on what kind of response the person wants and then convey it in a way that makes it appealing to give it to you, not pointing mm. out all the other times it hasn't happened. But, you know, it's like, I would love this. But anyway, what the thing I want to make sure to include is that if you're someone who is more present with masculine energy, you can ask the question either before the speaking begins or after not how do you want me to respond because i know i'm gonna mess up and so let me you know can you please give me the job description Mm. no it can be a very generous loving question to say how would you like me to respond in fact if this is something you haven't said before you might say i'm so glad you shared that with me how would you like me to respond. And if you've never said that before, that could be a confusing question. It all depends who the people involved are. So you could go the next step and say, I'm so glad you shared that with me. How would you like me to respond? Are you looking to just be heard? Do you want me to ask questions to clarify? Do you want me to suggest some solutions that have come to mind? What is going to make this a really nourishing conversation for you. Yeah, right. That open invitation and consent. Yes, yes, Mm -hmm. consent and open invitation. And let me just say, if this is unfamiliar, it feels, um, it can bring up all kinds of things for the Mm. person with the feminine energy who shared, it can feel shameful Yes. Not to know what we want. It can feel um, kind of, uh, what would be a good word? I'll just go with uncomfortable, but it's, there's a particular kind of discomfort yeah. that comes when we have an experience and it just doesn't feel right to have to fit it into English vocabulary. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. And it also puts us in a position of 
risking rejection, it's it's often much easier to order short, meaning just ask for a little bit because mm -hmm. then we don't get our expectations high. But when we say what we truly want and then don't get it, mm -hmm. it can sometimes feel like we should have just not said it in the first place because disappointment is such a rampant and um, under attended to emotion. Right. And it can validate that, that fearful thinking that we have inside of us, or that maybe even shameful, you know, personification of I am that OC, and there's that because that 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 just validates that I really am that I am not and I need to have everything neat and tidy and finished and wrapped in a bow before I actually open up and share it. Right, exactly. Because I need to know not just what the present is and that it's pretty, but I'm also going to know how it's going to be received. And so we can't, you know, I think you had mentioned about the crystal ball thinking, right? Like you just can't, you cannot, you cannot base your relationships on conscious presence and mindfulness. If we're constantly looking to have a certain kind of reaction or response, that transactional energetic exchange that just doesn't work for us. Right. And, um, in the last few minutes, because I think it kind of blends, it just lends itself right into it. The whole concept and discussion about the big O, right? That's another part of that expectation that we have that maybe I'm not good enough because I can't have it, or maybe I'm not good enough, or I wasn't good enough because they didn't have it, or you know, all of those things. So what I, I'm just like, I, I'm, I'm ready. I can't wait for your response on the conversation around that, because I know it's going to be great. Okay. Well, I have two different things to say. The first is that I really wish instead of all of the emphasis and focus on orgasm, that there was a lot more emphasis and focus on pleasure because yeah. orgasm, which is a magnificent, a magnificent experience. I have nothing ill to say. Yeah. It can <laughs> become sort of goal oriented. Right. And that ends up restricting what's possible. And so yeah. to instead look at or, or lean into explore in this moment, how can I experience the most pleasure? How can I touch, but how can I breathe? How can I be present so that I experience the most pleasure? And if that is your practice, if sex is about having the most pleasure in any moment, that is the much better foreplay than any kind of technique to get there. So that's Correct. One thing I would say, do you want to respond before I say the other? Oh gosh, you, you're a very good read, aren't you? You've learned my, you've learned my rhythm. Um, so I, yes, I completely agree with that because when, when we make it about, in this case, the thing, right, which is having an orgasm, um, then it's, it completely short circuits the connection piece because it, it becomes the thing that we're performing towards as opposed to us just 
wanting to share ourselves with one another and um pleasure is all part of it i'm all for pleasure but i think that passion without grounded direction can be very hurtful it can really yes. hurt people so really the other piece is and i mean i'm going to use different words but i mean the same thing in every case education personal research exploration and with respect to that the most important thing is having conversations about the sex that you're having you know it the research is very clear that one of the most important positive predictors for long-lasting relationships and happiness and passion in a marriage is actually having conversations with your partner but the fact is that most couples are far more comfortable having sex than talking about it correct but just nine percent of couples who don't talk about sex report being sexually satisfied that is 91 percent of couples who don't discuss it are not sexually satisfied so staggering right staggering and so all of you people who are wondering out there there you go right so that so is the place to start <laughs> and that should naturally lead to discussions about anatomy and sensation and pressure yeah. and timing and actually i'm very excited i um i'm i'm in the planning stages i'm going to write a book on how to talk about sex because it's actually something that i end up discussing Fantastic. with a lot of couples who've been married for five years for 30 years like mm -hmm. how do we actually start the conversation when the right. culture of the marriage hasn't included such conversations and mm -hmm. again the answer is gently slowly respectfully and i can't refer you to the book because it hasn't been written yet but let me just say that if you don't have conversations with your lover with the person that you're making love with do not have your first one when you're about to have sex during sex or you've just had sex Correct. just like i said before really separate it and have it in a um mm -hmm. as 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 simple and benign a situation as possible so you're both fully clothed um mm -hmm. you know it's the next day things so that the only new piece is the conversation and actually i highly recommend that you start a conversation about sex by talking about some of your favorite moments together like mm. when we think about talking with our partner about sex it's often mm -hmm. about what are we going to try that's different and better and what isn't working and those are both super important things to discuss but neither one of them is a great starting place a much better starting place point. affirms both of you, talks about moments you had together mm. that you really enjoyed. It builds confidence, it builds connection, and it kind of gives some vitality to then address the things that you might want to change. Oh, I yes, 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 <laughs> yes. And you know, so I'm just kind of tracking our conversation and starting from the beginning and you just circled back to it again. It, everything starts outside of the bedroom and outside of the act, right? Of sex, 
the actual act of having sex, right? And it starts with that um, self to self, right? So what I've heard you say is really understand yourself well, allow yourself to move beyond where your comfort zone is and see what comes up for you, what makes you feel uncomfortable, what doesn't, and create some resolve for that. So whether that's realizing that, wow, I probably need some sort of like wise counsel, a guide, a therapist, uh, whatever, then great. If not, maybe it's just talking to your partner and saying, wow, I'm just really like exploring, um, moving my, the barriers of where my comfort zone is here a little bit. And so I'm, I'm going through a little bit, um, uh, but it's okay because it's, it's, it's really for me so that I can show up more as myself in all aspects in my life, which includes our relationship. So, so it's that self to self, but then it's also that clarity and that consensual communication, right? So is it okay if we talk about this right now, or if somebody is kind of unraveling, whether it's the masculine or the feminine energy, they can say, um, they can, they can feel comfortable to share what their experience is and they can ask questions. So how can I support you best right now? I'm seeing that you're having a hard time, right? Or can I just, can I just share with you? Like, I really love it when you touch me here, right? Could you do that for mm. me? You know, mm. or, um, just to, to, to do it in a way where you're saying, come with me on this journey right? Stay with me on this journey. And um, the commitment is always about that container, which is um, beautiful and wide and expansive, where the two entities can dance around and allow themselves to really feel free to be themselves, but have the integrity of whatever's important to them in that connection, in that relationship. Um, and I love that you're dispelling the myths of, you know, what it means to be erotic, right? Um, I immediately came to that image of, you know, dancing in the pole. I actually really love to dance. So like, I love expressive dance. I use that. And it's fabulous. Dance, right? It's really fabulous. And it's fabulous. But I also understand that like, when, especially those who are feminine and women who have had to justify providing themselves with some of their most basic of needs by, you know, going a million miles an hour and then crashing and slamming against the wall and falling down to the ground and just saying, I guess I need to rest now, or I guess maybe I need a little self-care, right? So if you're coming from that place, and I know a lot of people who are, right, I'm kind of joking about it, but it really is a thing, um, then yeah, so start small, you know, just start small, just maybe go take a step back from, you know, wait, pump the brakes a little bit before you see that you're going to crash and burn, like see if maybe you, there might be a way where you, you don't need to do that, or you don't need to be burnt out to justify the fact that you can really explore all of these different aspects of self-care and growth and pleasure, and fun and ease and all of the things. So I, I, I didn't even get to a lot of the things that I wanted to <laughs> We've just flowed through this conversation, I think, in such a wonderful way that there's a richness to it, that it's not just talking about a topic, but it actually gives some real wonderful um, experience and exposure to 
like you're in it right now. And here are some ways that you might be able to just take a step towards something more meaningful to you. Um, so yes, it's wonderful. Completely. So I, and it is, it's, it's beautiful speaking with you. And I want to summarize what you've just said in a way that I often do, which is that because it's easy to think, well, I need to do this outside of the bedroom before I get to the real thing in the bedroom. And it's not how I think about it at all in the context of long lasting marriage where you are living with someone, you have a life with them, mm. really everything which isn't sex functions as foreplay. It either yes. brings you closer together mm. or pushes you further apart. So mm. every little exchange mm. is rich with possibility. Oh, that's so wonderful. Alexandra, you are such a gift. You really are. And it's been such a joy to have you today in this conversation. And I'm so excited that we have this as part of the Thrive with Sharon podcast and the show. Um, I do hope that you'll come back again. I can't wait. And definitely you're coming back after your next book is published. Um, but I hope you come back again, because I think that there's going to be a lot of great interest in this discussion. Um, and it's one that's near and dear to my heart for sure. So thank you again. Thank you so much. Yeah. Well, everyone, thank you for tuning in today. And of course, I'm going to leave all of Alexandra's contact information in the show notes. Please make sure that you like, subscribe, leave a review, and definitely send either one of us a message on what you really liked about this conversation and what you'd like to hear more of. Um, and until the next time, I want you to continue to take the steps to take care of yourself and be the best person that you can be. Lots of peace, love, and we'll talk to you soon.